women, passion, success. Welcome to the all-new Francisca Show podcast on the Jewish Coffeehouse Network. Who am I? I'm Francisca, singer, composer, music producer, and now success coach for podcasters. I took a podcast, grew an audience, and monetized it. With over 60 original songs, 20 music videos, and over 100 podcast episodes, I present to you K Productions LLC, a white glove podcast production agency that helps entrepreneurs just like you create great content, attract their ideal clients, and make more money by using the power of podcasts. On this show, you'll be hearing from successful female entrepreneurs about their journey. Go ahead and subscribe, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am really excited for today's episode. We have Jennifer Chapman with us, leadership coach. And I'm so excited to just jump in and ask all my burning questions (laughs) and talk about what leadership is like today What's the environment like today for leaders? So we'll just jump right in. Jennifer, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and we'll go from there. Great. Well, thank you for having me. And I have had kind of a a windy career path and have had the opportunity to work at at some different organizations. I spent a lot of time at a Fortune 500 consulting firm where I was a leader they're in the middle, so I had to learn a lot about managing up and managing down and working with clients all at the same time. And it was there that I became acquainted with coaching. I had never heard of a coach before in this context. And that's when in my 30s for the first time, I thought that's what I want to be when I grow up. And so I went through a coaching program and got certified And I've been doing that now for 12 years, and I've had my own coaching practice since leap day of 2012. So um, it's been a journey for sure, and also I've never been happier. What's it like coaching men and women in the corporate space, like where it's not just one-on-one necessarily? I'm sure they brought you in for trainings. Mm-hmm. right? As like the motivational, inspirational. Yes. So I've done a lot of leadership training in just different capacities. And one of my favorite topics to talk to leaders about is emotional intelligence, which is basically your people skills and your self-awareness and how what you think about yourself impacts other people. There's a, a lot there um, that you can dive in on. So I Generally, we'll do some overviews of different elements of emotional intelligence and talk about how different things show up at work. And then it often lays a nice foundation for one-on-one work if people want to do that. So on this podcast, we have had so many leaders of sort in the Jewish Orthodox community where women have been stepping up and pushing the boundaries with music videos and music. Just to give you a background, uh, Jewish Orthodox women don't have the platform to perform in front of mixed audiences, in front of men and women. We can only perform and sing and dance in front of women and girls. So it's been very challenging. Social media has changed things a lot. There was just an excellent article in Glamour Magazine this past week that came out uh, talking about how social media has changed the 
complete environment for Jewish Orthodox singers. So I'm one of them. And every time I've spoken to a, anyone who's aspiring or already singing or influencing somehow online, their biggest mission is to inspire, to impact, and ultimately to be a leader. Is there such a thing as too many leaders? And can we train everyone to be a leader? Don't we need people to be followers? That is such a good question. And I know for me and my own experience, there are times where I am a leader and there are times when I'm a follower. And it just depends on the situation. And I think that truly the best leaders are the ones who can switch back and forth, who recognize when it's time to lead and when it's time to take a step back because there's someone else who either has more expertise than you, has a formal role that you don't have, or um, or sometimes I think that the hardest situations are stepping back when there's someone else who's leading and you want to fix it for them or you want to elbow them out of the way and say, hey, I can do this better. But um, no, I, I don't I think everyone should aspire to becoming a great leader and learn the characteristics and attributes of a great leader and then be able to put that hat on and off depending on the circumstances. So that's very interesting. It's not that we're all leaders of everything all the time. It's a flow where we constantly change the dynamics of the relationships and the people around us, and we can be moving from one role into next. Exactly. And I even see that in my personal life. Like when I'm, I'm a mom of, of in a blended family, so I have three stepchildren, and two biological children. And there are times when my say is like the say, I am the leader. Uh, and then there are times where my husband and I are co-parenting and we're leading together. And then when we go to a family reunion, so, uh, let's say, then my opinion isn't the one and only. I've got my kids that I'm in charge of, obviously, but then I have all these other opinions to incorporate. And frankly, sometimes when there are a lot of uh, alpha people <laughs> in, in a situation like a family ring. And I will often step back because I just think, you know what, I'm, I'm fine with whatever. It's not worth exerting that extra energy in this situation. So I'm just going to let someone else lead. And so I, I see that dynamic of rotating leadership everywhere in my life. Yeah. And you brought up a few things that I'm just going to collect and move forward with. Being a mom and focusing on the leadership slash flowy aspect. So really where I'm getting at here is emotional intelligence. I know you're a big proponent of it and how that's really where we should be focusing our energies on, especially in education, especially in parenting. So if you had to classify like a top three or top five emotional intelligence traits or behaviors, what would they be? The first one that came to mind is impulse control. And I, I see that definitely as a mom and a wife and as a businesswoman, that there are times where we're in a situation and we get emotionally triggered and our first impulse is to either hit that fight or flight um, or freeze. And I think a lot of times we just forget, you know what, I, I can just pause here. 
and take a breath. I don't have to immediately say something. In fact, it's probably better if I don't. So just being able to recognize when you're emotionally triggered and then intentionally pausing for either a few seconds or even telling the person that you're talking to, you know what, I need to just step outside for a moment and then we'll continue this conversation. Okay, what's next? I'd say the second thing is your how you feel about yourself, your self-regard. And I know that when we are confident in who we are, what our purpose is in life and our expertise in our jobs, that that carries through when it's authentic. And I think a lot of the people that we deal with in our lives who are challenging to work with, if you really got to their core, it would be an absence of confidence that then they're covering up with being aggressive or discounting other people's opinions or, um, you know, just being more combative. So if you are secure in who you are, then it's, you don't get your bumped around as much because you're on your study and then the stuff around you, you can look at and decide, is that something that I'm going to let impact me or not, rather than letting everything impact you. And then I, I would say the third one would be interpersonal communication. And that is the source, I think, of, of most conflict that you see in the workplace and at home, that we either get too busy, that we forget to communicate, but more often we just hold back on our emotions. And this one ties with the impulse control because interpersonal communication and letting people know how you think doesn't mean walking around letting everyone know what you think. It means though that you can pause and look at a situation and think, all right, what information do I need to share that could help this other person understand where I'm coming from? It's being able to listen to somebody else. And when I say listen, I mean, really listen to what they're saying without formulating what you're going to say right back instead of listening. And the, just just let that ability to listen and that willingness to authentically speak from your heart, those things are what dramatically will improve your relationships at work and at home. A hundred percent. Which is why it's taking me a little time to formulate my questions because I'm really trying to listen <laughs> and not focus <laughs> on my next question. But how important is it for a leader to want to be liked? Is it something we have to completely ignore, deal with? Or is it actually some sort of GPS guide? That is such a great question. And the, my initial reaction to it is it's not important. <laughs> like, you don't want to walk around being people pleasers because you are not going to be an effective leader. Or, I mean, think about, again, as a, those of you who are moms, that if I gave, if I worried about my children liking me, that I would be caving into every time they wanted to be on tech, every time they wanted to have candy in, for dinner instead of something nutritious, letting them stay up as late as they want to, that would be a disaster. And the same thing is true as a leader. Like you, as a leader, want to have this vision of what your team is all about, 
what is the mission? What are you trying to accomplish from a big picture perspective? And then how does that translate into what you need from all of your people? Now that said, I am one who admittedly puts tasks before people. And I found there are generally two types of people, the people who put people first and the people who put the tasks first. I put tasks first. And so sometimes I have to step back and look at the people impact. And I don't sometimes see it until I've made someone upset. Um, But then there's the people who put the people side first. And while they can really have that harmonious team and the good personal relationships, the downside is that they might be so focused on having the team work together and everybody liking each other that they're not engaging in a healthy conflict to see, you know, what would work better or what needs to change. And they're just wanting everything to stay in that happy little bubble. So, so there's no one right way. You just have to be aware of, are you more task focused or are more people focused? And then how am I going to use that with, with an intention? So, you know, back to your original question of leaders being liked, I would say that you as a leader need to figure out what are your priorities who are you as a leader and what's the impact you want to leave behind? And then what style is going to best help you to get there? I like how you say that because if you have a certain impact and you need a certain style, so that style might be needing to be liked. You know, presidents, for example, the classic example of a leader, if they're not liked, they won't be voted in and then they can't pursue their goals and their leadership goals. It's and it's a fine balance too because we've had some presidents in our history who have been more likable and more people feel like oh yeah they're great and look at their cute dog in the white house. <laughs> but at the end of the day is that president getting stuff done? And sometimes the really likable ones aren't getting stuff done. Um sometimes the ones that aren't as liked are the ones who are really task focused who are getting tremendous things done, but then people don't like the personality or the way the person's going about it. And I'm not saying it's an either or. I think we do have those presidents who can juggle that people side and the task side. Um, but you're you can never one. I think maybe the most important message I have for this podcast is you are not going to make everybody happy. Is absolutely impossible. And that's why it's so important to get clear on what's important to you. And one metric I like using for myself is I imagine either my funeral, which I know is a little bit morbid for some, or you can think about you having a retirement party when you're uh, 65 and ask yourself, what do you want people saying about you at your retirement party? And that helps me get really clear fast on how I want to be showing up and what what I want to leave behind for my children, for people I've managed, for my coaching clients. It gets crystal clear when I think long-term like that. So much to think about. How important are apologies? Or do you have a way of suggesting language for apologies when leaders have to acknowledge or comfort the team around them, but not burn them. Because sometimes if we're stubborn and we want to show them, 
that they're being wrong. And sometimes an apology would just be easier, faster, more efficient. How, how do you feel about team leaders using apologies? So first, I would say leaders need to be very mindful of what is in their control and what's not. So as a leader, let's say I'm in a corporation and somebody, not me, made a decision. Maybe there's a decision that we've got to do budget cuts. And I, I know, especially this past year, like my husband was furloughed for a period of time. There've been some really challenging decisions. So if I'm a leader in an organization that's made some of these decisions, I can, I can reach out with empathy to the people being impacted and and express my concern and, you know, are you doing okay? How can I help you? But I shouldn't apologize for a decision that wasn't mine, if that makes sense. Now, there have been times where I've been wrong. In fact, let me tell you a story. I was a newer manager and I had a direct report who uh, she, we had a pretty rough start. I saw a lot of potential in her when I hired her. She was very bright, very optimistic, had a lot of energy, and I could tell she was a go-getter. And I thought, okay, I can work with this. But then when it came to actually doing the job duties, there were things that I thought were just common sense that she wasn't getting. And, and I, had, I gave her a lot of feedback. And I found out about three or four months into her time that that often she went home and cried after her after a day working with me and I felt horrible I did because I thought I would I would never want anybody to feel that bad or you know you might have a day where you cry but not every day and so obviously in that scenario there were things for me to own and there were things for her to own too I think she also had to build up a tougher skin and be receptive to feedback. And then we both had to acknowledge that the way that she learned and the way that I gave instructions weren't matching up. So we had to figure out a way to communicate differently. And once we figured that out, and I realized she was a very kinesthetic, hands-on learner, that it, it was much more effective for her to sit by me and do a task with me to see how to do it than me just explaining it in an email or verbally explaining it. And at, at, at when we did a check-in at this three-month mark, I, I gave her some feedback. And then she, and I should also mention, when you do more formal feedback to people, it should not ever be a surprise for them to hear what you're saying in a formal setting, because you should have been saying it as the occurrences were happening. That drives me crazy. Uh, performance appraisals should not be a surprise. It should be a summary of what they've already heard from you. And so I had been giving her feedback all along, and then we were having a more formal conversation. And then I said, is there anything I could do to be a better manager? And that really caught her off guard. And she later told me that she had never had a manager ask her that. And as she thought about what to say, she communicated to me a way that I was giving her feedback that was really hard for her. And, and I realized that I had been insensitive to a couple of things or maybe the way my expectations were too high. And I was able to authentically say, I'm, I'm sorry because I had there, I'm not perfect. And there were things that I needed to shift 
in my leadership style. So I owned it and I said, I was sorry. And, and we talked about what would be more effective going down the road. And, and I think one of the most essential attributes of a leader is to be humble enough to recognize truly when you've messed up and then to be able to own it. And if it's, if you've messed up and need to repair a one-on-one relationship, keep it between you and the person that you've offended or that you were wrong about. It doesn't need to be public. And then if you've done something, let's say on a team scope, maybe in a meeting you made a joke that was not appropriate or was at someone's expense, and then you realize it later, um, a public apology in that situation is completely appropriate because the situation happened in public. So apologies are great and they should be used just with the person or people that it happened to and when it was something that was in your control and um, versus not. And it should also just, it needs to come from a really authentic place. And if you're not sorry, then don't say you're sorry because there's nothing worse than saying it just for a platitude. Interesting. I like how you brought examples in, even though I heard that example on a different podcast and I was listening to you. And I loved it. I actually used it. It was nice for me to, Instead of it just being always, you know, what do you need to be doing better? What can I be doing better to make it more of an equal game? How do egos work or how do you manage egos when striving to be better leader? Oh, my heavens. That is a big challenge. <laughs> um, so I work a lot with people in the science research and technology engineering fields, and a lot of them have egos because they're super smart and, and to be super smart is fantastic. (laughs) And it can be a problem when we start thinking that like we're better than other people. One thing I see when you're really good at something, it's easy to then look down on other people who aren't catching it that fast. Um, I have a good friend who is a coach and she was working with somebody who was, um, she worked in the intelligence community and she was exceptional at seeing patterns. And she was complaining to my friend. She's like, I try to teach other people how to do this and they just don't pick it up. And when they're reviewing all this data and it takes them three days to come up with a synopsis and what's going on, I can do that in a matter of a couple of hours. And then my friend had her take this assessment or some kind of an IQ test. And she scored in the 99th percentile on pattern recognition. (laughs) And then my friend was able to say, okay, this is a talent that you have. And you're like the best of the best. And no one's going to come close to be able to do that um, like you. And so you've got to cut people slack that that's not their number one strength. Now they're going to have something they excel at that you don't. And sometimes it applies to work and sometimes it doesn't. But I would say as far as egos go, to acknowledge there are going to be egos in the room, don't let your ego become part of the problem. And that goes back to when we were talking about self-regard or your confidence. If you're clear inside of who you are and what your gifts are and what you bring to the table, then you're not going to get sucked in to that ego game. And often when I see the egos at play, I just take a step back. Um, With managing up, 
I would say sometimes you've got to play to that ego. And if that person needs to take the credit, let them take the credit. If they want to be the one to make the comment at the meeting, let them make the comments. Because see, I'm so confident in who I am. I'm not going to let it bother me that they have to be like that. So I'd say definitely with managing up, it, it can be really helpful to stroke egos as needed. But then for the most part, just just stay out of the ego game, be who you are and don't let, don't get caught up in all of that drama. Moving on to data. I know you're very into data. And when you're thinking about leadership and you're thinking about relationships and teams, how does data work or how can you actually collect accurate data and how can you use it? So when I work with people one-on-one, I do a lot of, I give them homework so that they can look at things with a different perspective and collect their own data that will lead to self-discovery. So for example, one thing you can try, sometimes people are afraid, am I talking too much at meetings? And, or maybe they've gotten feedback that they talk too much at meetings. And so one exercise you can do is, I used to say, draw a picture of a table and where everybody's sitting. But now with Zoom, you could just make a little Brady Bunch (laughs) chart on a piece of paper. And then every time someone speaks, put a little tally mark in their square. And every time you speak, do the same. And then don't really pay attention. Just, you know, do it while you're participating in the meeting. And then after the meeting's over, take a look at that chart. And then you can see, wow, I spoke twice as many times as anybody else did in this meeting. Or, oh, you know what? It was more balanced than I thought it was. Maybe it's not a big deal. Or for some of you, it might be, I don't speak up enough. And I need to work on on that. So that's one example of how you can use data to then make some self-assessments and decide how you want to change that. Or another thing that I've had people do is to um, make a list, take keep an irritability log is what I call it. Um, so you can just have a little notepad and every time something irritates you, write it, just write it down. And it doesn't have to be long, just the basic thing of what it was. And then you can go back and look at your log after a week or two weeks and see, okay, what are the patterns? And is it some aspect of my work that I just don't like? Is it certain people that are frustrating to me? Is it I am grouchier in the morning than I have in the afternoon? But it's just data that gives you an opportunity to step out of yourself and get some more insights into you and how you prefer to work and what really is frustrating. And once you identify it, then you can make a plan for how to address it. That's great. I think I need to use that, definitely. So I'd like to just move to a personal note for someone who has left the corporate world and started her own business. What was it like? What was the transition like? Maybe what were the biggest challenges working for yourself? So I would say the first year and a half was really scary. I, I, and just like any new thing. And how long ago was that? That was in, so I leapt, I took my leap in leap day of 2012. And I had quite a bit in savings. I was comfortable that I had at least a year, I could live at least a year, maybe a year and a half on what I had in savings. 
And I also had a lot of really good connections with people. And so I went just out and ready to go. And I ended up doing a lot of proposals, especially government proposals that are very time consuming, very tedious. And I did a lot of work by myself because it was just me and I wasn't really sure how to work with other people. And so it was just, I'm an extrovert. I derive energy from other people. So I, I look back at that first year and a half and I think, oh gosh, like I, I wish I would have had a better support system in place for me from the get-go. And so one thing I found maybe six or eight months into my journey was a group of entrepreneurs who met once a month and shared what their successes were and what their struggles were. We did peer coaching to help each other. And boy, that group just changed my life. And there were times where I was just ready to give up or throw in the towel and um, or I was lying awake at night wondering how I was going to pay my rent. And and what's tough with being an entrepreneur is all your friends who have stable traditional jobs say, well, you decided to go out on your own. You know, you don't get a lot of empathy, but you talk to another entrepreneur and they've got your back a hundred percent because they've been there. Um, so I'd say having a really strong support system is essential and then um, it, having some cheerleaders, I had, I wasn't married at the time. And when I went on my own, I was single and I have a really supportive sibling group and I'm really grateful for them. But I, um, I really appreciated some mentors that I had in my life, people who'd started their own coaching business 20 years prior to me who I could take specific questions or challenges to, or sometimes just have a good cry with. And I, I can think of a couple of times where I think it was a year into my foray as an entrepreneur and I was still struggling. It took a lot longer for things to get going than I thought it would. I would say it was a year and a half for me before I could live on what I was making. And when I was a year in and just discouraged, I got offered a full-time job that was making really good money and had potential for commission and bonuses, but it was doing work that just drains the life out of me. And I remember talking to one of my entrepreneur friends and saying I was considering this job and she was so surprised. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm scared. And she looked at me and she said, never make a decision out of fear and, and help me to see a way that I could keep going with what I was doing and to not let the circumstances get in the way of me having this dream become a reality. And I'm so glad that she was there to talk me into some sense into me because just six months later, I, I was able to finally get to this place where I could live on what I was making, doing work I loved. And from there, it just has gotten easier as I've continued to network and challenge myself and find that niche of work that I enjoy doing the most. So it was worth it. Absolutely. And you didn't make decisions out of fear, which was great. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I, right when I hit that point of being able to live on what I made, then a couple months later, maybe three months later, I met my husband. And then I ended up 
being an instant stepmom and then <laughs> had kids and my life's been so crazy. And I have to say, like having my own business has been such a key part of survival for me because I've been able to adapt my work hours as I've needed to work less, work more, um, virt- work virtually. And I I look back on the timing and think it, it all happened the way it did, I believe, for a reason. And I, I'm glad that I took the steps to create my own business because it then made space in my life for me to be in relationships and for me now to have a family. And I used to be a workaholic and now I have very clear boundaries on how many hours a day I work and which days I work. And then I can be a mom and a stepmom and involved in community things. And I'm involved in my church and, um, and I have much more balance to my life than I did, you know, eight, 10 years ago. Definitely. Yeah. I think this entrepreneurship slash coaching space really allows women that kind of empowerment and freedom to live a balanced life that corporate lifestyle doesn't really provide or accommodate so much. Okay, so you have been interviewed on many podcasts. So this is a fun question for you. As a leadership coach, what are your three either pet peeves or podcasters should know this? What would it be? So as a leader, this is what podcasters, podcast hosts need to know or the audience? Yeah, the, the podcast hosts, like interacting with them. This is a new space. I'm a podcast coach, success coach. And I want to know, you know, as a leadership coach, what's your feedback? How do you perceive podcasters to be? What are they not doing? How can they step up better? Because they are leading their podcast. Yes. So I would say the worst podcast experience I've had as a guest so far has been somebody who wrote out all the questions in advance and I felt like it was a job interview. (laughs) It was just really formal. And uh, yeah, I just, it wasn't, it just, I'm really grateful for the podcast hosts who it's just conversational and not, and yes, you want to have some ideas of questions in advance, certainly. But then to be able to just let go and see where the conversation takes it. Um, I would say another pet peeve of mine is that I do want it to be a conversation, but I don't want the podcast host to hijack the podcast either. So sometimes when they start telling too much of their own stories or have an example for everything that I talk about, I start wondering, okay, who's interviewing whom here? Um, and if if you wanted to talk, then you can talk on any podcast anytime you want. And, and I just feel like, use me. You've got me here. Then, <laughs> then, then ask me questions so I can, I can offer advice and expertise. Um, so there's, oh, and then the third thing is, just um, that with the scheduling, I get frustrated where I understand things happen. And there's, I think, been one time where I've had to reschedule um, pandemic and childcare related. <laughs> I'm like, we can do it, but I'm going to have kids everywhere. Uh, and I don't think that would be smart. And I then I've had, you know, circumstances are going to come up every once in a while. There is a pod, there have been a couple podcasts where I've had to reschedule 
for the, because they've asked me to like two and even three times. And that's when I start thinking, okay, is like this a priority for you? Or is this just some hobby where if it fits great and if not, you know, whatever, but I, if I schedule time, like my time is really precious to me. And so I, I want to feel like my time is appreciated. Absolutely. And uh, I have been developing my new signature pop questions, and I think this is going to be it. I'm collecting a list of five minutes a day, and it will improve your life, or one task a day. What is that one thing that you do every day that maybe others don't that you would recommend people doing? I Balance is so important to me. And like I said, I, I'm a recovering workaholic. I'm a task-focused person, and I'm a type A person. So if I just get into my day where I'm like running around like a crazy person, getting kids off to school, sitting at my desk just in time for a meeting to start that whole day, I just feel like I'm off. But if I can take a few minutes, either right when I wake up or after the kids are on their way and yes, (laughs) then, um, and sometimes that moment to me looks is of prayer. I I am religious and very much believe in God and being able to communicate with God through prayer. And so ideally I like to say a prayer and ask for help with the things that are going on in my day, be grateful for things that have happened. And, and just the more I involve God in my morning, the more then I feel like he's got my back as I go on throughout the day. And then um, there are other times where maybe my prayer time is not as formal, but I've just, even if it's 30 seconds to just take a deep breath, sit in my chair. (sighs) Okay. And, and even I've been late. I don't like being late, but there've been times where I've been a minute late into a meeting because I just needed to sit in my chair and take a deep breath. And, and just that time to center yourself is I think critical to feeling successful and to feeling confident. Well, I hope I didn't make you wait <laughs> by centering myself. No, but this was such a fun conversation. No, I have no. my mother's voice in the back of my head because she founded a school and for their new marketing for a few years has been being a leadership school. This is a day school for children. So I'm like, yay, little kids all being leaders trying to do <laughs> So I'm hearing her voice as we had this conversation. This has been so fun. Where can people find you? Uh, I would love for you to come check out my website at ambitionleadership.com. And on the homepage, you can schedule a complimentary 15-minute session with me. If you want to talk about anything that came up for you during this podcast, I would love, I love talking to people and I love to help. So take me up on this offer and uh, go to ambitionleadership.com and check out that 15-minute complimentary consultation. Wonderful. That's so generous of you. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. It's been really fun talking to you. Friend, thank you so much for listening until the end. And if you enjoyed, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to subscribe so you get a notification the next time an episode is out. Have you been thinking of launching a podcast? Great. Let me help you launch and produce your show and take the headache away. Just click on the link in the show notes. 
and make sure to tune in next time. See ya! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.